If you got your Bibles, open to James chapter 5 and 1 Kings chapter 18. James chapter 5 and 1 Kings chapter 18. Need to offer you a little disclaimer before we get started today. Um, typically, the passage that we're about to read through is either preached with the passage that we went through last week, really the last three weeks, okay? Um, or it is one that is skipped altogether, all right? Uh, in this story of Elijah calling down fire from Mount Carmel. Most of that is because of verse 40, which we're gonna navigate today, and it is a great and powerful verse, uh, but you need to know, the passage today centers around pursuing God's richest blessings. And so just know, when it talks about pursuing a blessing, that is typically where in the current American culture, there is a group that crosses their arms and go up health and wealth. Here we go, preacher. You're going to preach on blessing. Well, man, we hit hard and fast the blood of Jesus Christ last week, so much so uh, that there's an older pastor uh, that's a part of our group, and he goes, man, we saw those Southern Baptist roots coming out pretty strong last week, which is great. We love that. But I want you to know, the blood of Christ is central, but the blessing and the way that God blesses us is also very, very biblical, and it's not something that needs to be shoved to the side. And so we're going to talk about specifically pursuing a big blessing. And in this passage that we've been reading, that big blessing is rain, something beyond uh, that uh, what they can do uh, uh, as a people in Israel. They cannot cause it to rain, and they are crying out to God to do something that they cannot do on their own. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever looked for God to do something truly big in your life? You ever looked for God to do something truly big in your life? For some of you, you'd say, yep, in my finances. I'm looking for God to help. I'm in deep debt. I've got great student loan debt. I've got struggles all that, uh, that abound uh, financially, and I need the Lord to provide a miracle in that circumstance. Some of you with health, some of you with relationships, some with work situations. Let's just be honest, some with legal issues. Uh, you need the Lord to provide some favor for you in a really difficult set of circumstances. And then for all of us, the end of the pandemic, something beyond our reach, something we cannot do on our own, and we are begging God to provide this great blessing. I want to give you some good news today. Look at James chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17, and we've read these verses previously, but man, they sure fit the passage today. James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 are, the, uh, are uh, again, Pastor James's take in a New Testament context on this Old Testament miracle. Here's what he says. He says, Elijah was a man just like us, or he was a human being just like we are. And look at what he says. He says, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then again, he prayed, and the heavens gave the rain, and the earth produced its crop. Stop right there for just a minute. Two very cool things that are happening in this set of verses. First of all, we find out that Elijah, that the Lord is listening to the cries of his heart. To the tune of this, he prays that it will not rain, and the Lord hears it. But we also find out out that this wasn't just an accidental roll of the dice because when he prays three and a half years later that it will rain, the Lord listens to that prayer as well. This was not something accidental or coincidental. It is connected specifically to the Lord listening to what Elijah has to say. God does what he does, but Elijah has this powerful connection. And yet, James points out, Elijah was just a man. 
Elijah was just a person. He wasn't some demigod. He wasn't somebody who was set apart to be extra special. No, he was just like us. And when it comes to the big needs that you have in your life or the big blessing that God will shower upon you, remember, you don't have to go to somebody to be your priest like me. I am a fellow traveler in the journey that we are all on towards Almighty God to live for him and again to be saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But again, you have the same access to God that anybody else in Christ is able to have. Jesus is the one who's truly special. Best example I can give to you that happened. You ever gotten to go to a sporting event before? but you had really, really good tickets. You ever had that happen? You had really, really good tickets. Maybe not a sporting event, but to a big event. I love going to sporting events. One of my favorite things. The pandemic has really put a hamper on that, but I just love going to big sporting events. And one time, uh, my Oklahoma State Cowboys were playing against the Ole Miss uh, running Rebels, I guess. We're playing against them in the Cotton Bowl, and it was extra special for two reasons. Number one, it was Eli Manning's senior season, or whatever season it was before he went pro his last year and it was also the very first year for the Cowboys Stadium to open in Arlington and so that brand new two billion dollar palace facility uh, for football I mean I'm telling you it was amazing everybody wanted to go to that game well my uncle Paul was on the Cotton Bowl committee uh, he played strong safety for Texas Tech uh, again uh, just, a, just a great guy and my uncle Paul uh, I called him and said hey anyway you can get me tickets to this Cotton Bowl game. I said, I really want to go watch the Cowboys, Oklahoma State Cowboys play. He was like, you know, he goes, I normally couldn't get you tickets, but nobody really wants to go watch Oklahoma State. And so he said, I bet I could find you some tickets to this game. So sure enough, um, he says, I'll let you know what kind of tickets I can get you. And I, was, I, I said, I can pay for them. And he goes, well, just let me see what I can do. He calls me back. And he says, I got you some tickets. I go, what do I owe you? And he goes, you wouldn't be able to pay for these tickets. He said, these are just a gift to you. And I'm like, okay, well, do I pick them up at will call? And he goes, oh, no, 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 not these tickets. He said, you'll go to the hotel. I said, what hotel? It was the hotel where Ole Miss was staying. So I go to the hotel, I'm showing ID like four different places. Autumn was with me that day. We go and we're showing ID at like four different places. And finally, they hand to us an envelope that has two thick plastic passes. These were not tickets, these were passes to let us in. And they were so fancy, they didn't come with the lanyard because these were VIPs they didn't want taking pictures with the lanyard around your neck. These were thick tickets. I still have them in my office. I mean, they, again, I want to frame them one day because they're just so beautiful. We get in and we're showing these tickets, these passes, and as we go through, we are walking through lines of security I have never walked through ever before. What at the time was the newest, nicest stadium in all of athletics. And so I'm walking in, Autumn's with me, and then they set us down on the 48-yard line in the lower section. If you've ever been to the Cowboy Stadium too, the Jumbotron was the biggest in the world at that point, and we're sitting there, and it's just like you're in your living room. You know what I mean? You got the athletes down here, and then that huge TV screen. Well, sure enough, at one point, I turned around to look, and three rows behind me is Jerry Jones in the box with President George W. Bush. He was there that day. And they're sitting three rows behind me, and I remember, I turn around, and Jerry Jones and I make eye contact and he just gives me one of these. 
And I can tell you the look in his eye was, who did you know to get those seats, kid? I was a youth minister at a small church at that point, and I'm sitting in those amazing seats. Now, don't miss this. By the way, OSU got beat like a drum that game. Moving on. (laughs) That kind of access, it's not just for the elite. Listen to me. It says in Scripture that Jesus is our great high priest, that because of him, we all have that kind of access to God. Scripture says from the mouth of James, Elijah was just a man. He was just like any one of us. But his devout faith and godliness, there's something special about when a righteous person prays. And the desire is not that you would find a righteous person, but that you would be a righteous person so that you can commune with Almighty God. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Your level of godliness is not determined by your talents or potential. Devotion is key. Let me say that again. Your level of godliness is not determined by your talents or potential. Devotion is key. It is not God's goal for your life that you would follow a godly person. The goal for your life is that you would be a godly person that you would pursue Christ in every aspect of your life and that you would be devout. And so it begs their big million-dollar question for the day today. How do we go about pursuing a big blessing from Almighty God, just like Elijah does in James chapter 5, verse 17? Just like Elijah's prayer brings about this amazing blessing that blesses the whole land. How do we go about pursuing a great blessing? Remember, the blessing specifically is rain, something beyond our control that we cannot do on our own. Now look with me, if you will. Flip back to 1 Kings 18, and we're going to jump into verse 38 and focus very specifically to start on verse 4. As you're flipping that direction, remember the story that we've been going through for like eight years now, all right, has been the story of Elijah calling down fire on Mount Carmel. The way the setup has worked, there are 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah that are offering a sacrifice on one side uh, to Baal. Uh, Again, this God of self-love, this God, again, of human sacrifice that is false. They've written the theology. Uh, All of it is fake. None of it works. But again, uh, they are, are trying to get the people to believe in this direction, and then on the other side, we've got Elijah offering a sacrifice all by himself to the one true God, Yahweh. What they decide up on the mountainside with the entire nation present because they're all out of work, because there's no rain in the agricultural economy, there's no crops to harvest, and because of that, on one side, Elijah says, put the bull on the altar, but don't light the fire. I'll put the bull on the altar, but I won't light the fire, and we will call upon our God to supernaturally send the fire to light it, and then that God that sent fire is the real and true God. Now look at what happens in front of the entire country in verse 38. The prophets of Baal have called out to their God. Nothing happens even though they cry out for hours. If effort could have brought fire, it absolutely would have brought fire. But their God is false. He does not exist. Their theology was something they had written themselves and no fire comes. Then on this side, Elijah calls out to the one true God, praise, answer me, O Lord, answer me, and turn these people's hearts back to you again. Now look at verse 38. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice 
sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it licked up all the water in the trench. And when this happened, all the people saw it, and they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's where we stopped the passage last week. The people repenting and crying out to Almighty God, whoa, Yahweh is real, Baal is not. And in that moment, we all of a sudden get to verse 40. Here's what it says next. And by the way, verse 40 is one of those verses that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, a little bit younger in your faith, or a little bit early in your faith journey of studying scripture, it's one of those verses that makes you a little itchy. Let's read through it together. You ready? There's a great story behind verse 40, but you got to know some history to walk through it. Let's look at it. It says, then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. So they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley. Underline and highlight, brought down to the Kishon Valley. And there he slaughtered them. Underline that word slaughtered, because that word also is very, very important. Can I tell you why that makes you a little itchy? And it's the reason that pastors typically stop at verse 39, and they don't go into verse, verse, uh, verse 40 through 46 that we're about to read today. Because you read that verse and you go, I thought we Christians were supposed to be kind. We are. But you've got to truly understand what's taking place here. Remember, Baal is a god of human sacrifice. The word that's used here is slaughtered, not sacrificed. What Elijah does is so key. The prophets of Baal, remember, had committed multiple genocides. They had killed the priests of Israel to the point that there were a hundred priests hiding in a mountainside that, again, one of the king's helpers has hidden away. A genocide against the people of God had taken place that the prophets of Baal said, this God that we've been speaking to has told us to kill these people. Not only that, but Baal is a God of human sacrifice. These priests have murdered children. These priests have murdered spouses. These priests have killed people in honor of a theology that they knew was not true. So listen to me. So Elijah says, we have some work to do. If you claim here today that Yahweh is real and Baal is not, then these men did not hear from a deity. They made these decisions on their own. He then leaves the mountaintop of Mount Carmel, goes down to the Kishon Valley and says, we will now hold a trial and claim that they have committed murder. And then scripture says, an eye for an eye. It says, a life for a life. And because of that, they are slaughtered there in the valley. Now listen to me. We are offered grace through Jesus Christ. But there were real consequences for the actions that those men had taken. And that's what takes place here. It's not Elijah doing like we do in this city. We're in charge now, so you who lost, you're out, and we are in. That is not the case with Elijah. Elijah comes up and says, if they truly wrote their own theology and have created a false system where they were committing murder, then there are consequences for their actions and what they've done. Elijah then goes down. He does the trial in a separate location to show they are not being sacrificed to God because remember, the people see human sacrifice from the previous faith they were in. He does the trial. 
They perform the execution, and then we're about to read in the next passage, then Elijah climbs back up to the top of Mount Carmel where he prays for God to bless the land again. If you're taking notes, don't miss this. Are you ready? How do we go about pursuing a big blessing? Number one, go to great lengths to live with integrity. Go to great lengths to live with integrity. In the case of Elijah, I guarantee you, he's already had to climb to the top of Mount Carmel. He's already had to be exhausted watching the prophets of Baal try all day to get fire sent down from heaven. He's already been exhausted in that faith moment where he's asked God to send fire, something he cannot do on his own. And now he's exhausted because he is the one who's been appointed as judge to do the trial down on the Kishon Valley where he's had to go back down the mountain again to take care of the trial and what's taking place with the prophets of Baal. Now all of a sudden we have this situation where he's got to climb all the way back up the hill. Why do all that and why not just go, hey, since we're up here, let's go ahead and do the trial? Because he knows it's going to be important to separate the two events. This is not an emotional move. Again, this is a legal move and the people needed to see the difference. He goes to great lengths to live with integrity. Now, because we're talking about blessing today, I did not put this in your notes, but you can write it down if you want to. Integrity doesn't earn you the Lord's favor. It puts you in sync with it. Let me say it again. Integrity doesn't earn you the Lord's favor. It puts you in sync with it. The idea is not, if I do good, then God will have to bless me. If I rub the genie lamp the right way and say the words I want, wish, then God will have to do whatever it is I tell him he needs to do. No, God is God, and because of that, he can do whatever he stinking wants. What happens when we live with integrity is our eyes are opened, and we are in sync to what God is already doing all around us. In fact, it says in Scripture, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's great blessings are always from him. All good things come from God. But for those who live with integrity... We get to see him at work. Best case, or best situation I can tell you about this happened with my uncle, Tom White. My mom's uh, sister, Peggy, this is her husband, Tom. He passed away a couple of years ago. In fact, his sister, Nancy, watches faithfully every week from Colorado. Love you, Aunt Nancy. My uncle, Tom, is the one who took two weeks of vacation each year, one to spend with the family, And then for 30 years in a row, he did a mission trip every year for 30 years with one of his two weeks of vacation. Can you imagine? He was such a godly man. And what he used to do for the kids after the mission trip, and sometimes there were trips uh, with about 100 kids. Autumn and I went on one where there were more than 200 college kids on this mission trip that we went on to California. Drove all the way out from Texas to California, did construction mission work, and we were working 17 hours a day. The older crew would work 17-hour shifts. I mean, it was just amazing to watch them work. And my Uncle Tom was the one who headed up one of the crews. After the trip was over, What my Uncle Tom would do is he'd buy a whole bunch of steaks, he'd chop them up, and he would invite all of the college kids to come and eat free steak in his and my aunt's backyard. And it was special. From the time I was young, we always looked forward to steak night at my Uncle Tom's, and he could cook a steak. It was delicious. I'll never forget, we'd show up, he'd stand in line, he'd have them divided up by temperature, 
And then you'd get your steak and a baked potato. My aunt always would cook the baked potatoes too. You'd get your steak and your baked potato and talk about the cool things that God had done. Even when I was a kid and didn't go on the mission trip, I got to be there and I got to hear the stories of the cool things that God had done. It wasn't until right after I graduated from college that I got to see just how big a blessing steak night was. My uncle called me. I had gone on the mission trip that year. And he said, hey, you want to help me set up for steak night this year? And I said, yeah, sure. What are we going to do? And he goes, well, at the end of the trip, he said, everybody else goes home to sleep. He said, you'll come and help me, pre- you'll come and help me prepare. He marinated the steaks the whole night before. Not only that, he had to make sure that steaks for more than 100 people were divided and cooked properly. He had to make sure that they were all cooked at the proper temperature. He had to make sure that they were perfectly seasoned. And sure enough, the second the college kids walked through the door, everything was ready. And instead of talking about being hungry, they could talk about what the Lord had done that week. I remember getting to help him set up and watching the steps of the process it opened my eyes to go, whoa, this blessing doesn't just happen. The Lord provides in a dozen different ways so that that big spiritual moment could take place. Listen to me. God is at work all around us. And he's gonna bless you when you deserve it and when you don't. But when we live with integrity, our eyes are opened and we get to walk alongside the Lord we get to see firsthand the awesome things that he does in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. If you're taking notes, write this down. So when it comes to integrity, leave no doubt. Write that down. When it comes to integrity, leave no doubt. Find that razor-thin line, and again, you will begin to see the Lord so clearly in all that it is that he does for us. Go to great lengths to do that. Save your spot there in 1 Kings and flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a great little verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 20. This is Paul talking about uh, pastors and uh, specifically he and Titus and how they've tried to live their lives uh, so, that, uh, uh, so that the gospel can be heard clearly. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, talking about salvation and grace. He says, for we are taking pains, underline taking pains, to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Stop right there for just a minute. We go to great lengths to live with integrity. We take the pains. Again, again, it's something that doesn't feel right in the beginning, but you do right before it feels right. We take pains to do what is right, not only so that it would be seen in the eyes of the Lord as righteous, but in the eyes of those looking at our lives and considering our faith, that they would see us striving to live with high character and to look like Jesus. It begs the question, are there parts of your character that distort the gospel? You say that again. Are there parts of your character that distort the gospel? Are there things that you do that honestly People see God in spite of your actions rather than you being a clear lens for them to see the work of God. Elijah, Elijah goes to great lengths. He takes pains. He climbs up the hill. He climbs down. And then in the next verse we're about to read, he climbs back up to the top again. 
Now look at what happens. Let's walk, let's walk through those verses. Now look, it's 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 41 through 43. Here's what it says next. So after the trial, it says, Elijah said to Ahab, remember Ahab's the king, go eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. Underline, there's the sound of a heavy rain. There is debate on whether or not that was a sound given to him by the Holy Spirit or wishful thinking, all right, uh, at this point. And so either way, it's a beautiful picture of Elijah's heart. I think that he actually heard through the voice of the Spirit the sound of a heavy rain. So look what happened. So Ahab went down to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed back to the top of Mount Carmel, look at this, and he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Underline face between his knees. If he had just knelt down, uh, then it would have said that because there were plenty of times, even in 1 Kings, where knelt down is present. This is a very specific way. He kneels down with his face between his knees. And then look at this. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And then he went and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said. Go back. And the seventh time the servant reported. Now stop right there for just a minute. Here's what happens. Elijah goes down to King Ahab and he says, here's the deal. The Lord's going to answer this prayer the same way he answered me when I asked the Lord for it to stop raining, the same way he answered me when I called down fire on Mount Carmel from heaven to light the fire. He says, he's going to answer me and he's going to send the rain. I can hear the sound right here, right now. So then Elijah does the painstaking task of climbing back to the top and he brings a servant with him. But don't miss this. He doesn't just kneel down. It says specifically, he knelt down with his face between his knees. The picture here is that Elijah is not looking at the sky. He is not watching for the Lord to form something. He is trusting and faithing that the Lord is doing things beyond what he can see. He brings a servant up there with him, and Elijah says, I am so focused in prayer. I am so focused to the task. I'm going to cry out to God until he answers. Now listen, remember, when we talked about uh, Elijah raising the widow's son uh, after he has passed away, do you remember how many times it says Elijah lays himself out over the man, over the young man, before he wakes up? It's three times. This time is even more. Seven times he cries out, is it raining yet? Nope. Is it raining yet? Nope. Seven times. Is it raining yet? And then all of a sudden, we get the blessing in the next verse. Don't miss this. How do we go about pursuing a big blessing? Number one, go to great lengths to live with integrity. And number two, humbly ask for what's beyond your sight. Let me say that again. Humbly ask for what's beyond your sight. We have a problem in the way that we pray. Because a lot of you don't pray and ask for God to do what he can do. You're very capable people in this city. What you do is you pray your to-do list. The things you know you should be doing. God, give me strength not to yell at my boss today. That is very much within your power. That is something that you can do. Some of you are like, you don't know my boss, all right? <laughs> you live with integrity, you can do that. Lord, please heal. It was like one of my pastors used to say it this way. Lord, please heal my broken arm. He said, your body is capable of being able to do that. That is something over time, unless there's something very specifically wrong. That's something that is a weak prayer because it's going to happen at some point. Faith-filled prayers 
are when you say, Lord, my effort can get me this far, but I am trusting you to fill in the gaps so that we can get even further. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? The full extent of our effort is only the beginning of the Lord's sovereign reach. Let me say that again. The full extent of our effort is only the beginning of the Lord's sovereign reach. Elijah cannot make it rain. But what he can do is continue at great pain to himself, physically, emotionally, spiritually. He can call out to God and ask his servant, I can't look. My face is between my knees. I'm not even going to be tempted. Is it raining yet? Nope. Is it raining yet? Nope. Is it raining yet? Seven times until finally the Lord sends the blessing. Without faith, Hebrews 11 says, it is impossible to please God. We experienced this when we planted the church. Waterfront Church will turn seven years old in April, or in, uh, in August. It's very exciting. Um, I remember the early days when we didn't know anybody. Can I tell you that Autumn and I are pretty hard workers, okay? Not to toot our horn, but we work pretty hard. And in the beginning, we did a little survey to try to figure out what it would take for our church to make budget in the beginning. That was one of the ways that the Lord kind of eased our fears was to figure out how many tithing members would we have to have in order for us to make our budget and the church to sustain because every church planter wants the church to live beyond their lifetime. Our budget in those early days was more than $200,000, almost 60% of that just going to the Courtyard Marriott Hotel uh, across the street so that we could have a space to meet four hours a week. And in those early days, I'll never forget, I sat with Autumn and the team. We went to census.gov. We looked up what the average salary was for these zip codes here. And then we thought, if people tithe 10%, how many tithing families would you have to have in order for the church budget to sustain? You know how many it was? 25. That's why, if you ever hear me say, we, pay, we prayed for 25 families in the beginning, it was because that's what it would take for Waterfront to sustain its budget and continue to meet in this part of the city. So we sat down and made a list, and Autumn goes, so how many do we have so far? And I said, well, we've got us, we'll tithe. We've got the worship leader's family, we'll make sure they tithe, all right? We had Josiah and Natalie Gross, who are part of our church in Texas, moving up here. Many of you know Josiah because he runs the sound booth for us at the back, and then his wife Natalie sings up here on stage. We knew that they were plugged in. We also had a family named the Brocks, they were two teachers from West Texas. Felt called to dip into their teacher retirement to come and to help us get the church started. And Stephanie Brock is the one who founded our hospitality ministry here at the church. And then it was four, but really four and a half. Uh, Rod and Jennifer Johnson had committed to move here, but they were delayed a year because of an incident at the airport, which we can talk about at a later date, all right? Now listen, four and a half, and we needed 25. I remember thinking, I can't work any harder to get past four and a half. I can't do any more on my own. And yet we prayed and we prayed with our face between our knees and went, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but we need you to fill in the gaps. And now there's more than 25 families in this room right now, very socially distanced, all right? It's amazing to watch the way the Lord takes care of things. Don't miss this. Are you praying for your to-do list? If so, you're missing out on the purpose of prayer. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God can do. 
what he is able to do beyond our sight. By the way, I want to show you a couple more verses here. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, some of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul writes it this way. Look at what he says. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, look at this, a righteousness from God is revealed. Again, God is seen as we pursue his righteousness. Look at this. And then it says, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. From start to finish, we believe that God is going to fill in the gaps and take care of us. And then he says there at the end of the passage, the righteous must live by faith. They will do that. There's another version of this that happens in Hebrews chapter 10. Save your spot uh, in 1 Kings and now flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. Here's what Paul writes from the mouth of almighty God but my righteous one will live by faith and if he shrinks back I will not be pleased with him that's words of the Lord but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed but those who believe and are saved the beautiful picture there in that verse again that faith is a requirement in order for us to please God and faith is a requirement in order for us to realize just how awesome he is from start to finish he is taking care of us and doing things we could never do on our own. It begs the question, are your prayers of faith are your prayers faith filled or are they a personal to-do list based on your effort? Are your prayers faith filled or are they a personal to-do list based on your effort? There are some of you that it might change your prayer life completely. Before you kneel down to pray in the morning, if you sat down and made your to-do list first, and then prayed. Interesting thought. I can hear you laughing. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? To get it out, to see what's in your realm of responsibility, what you can do on your own, and then to kneel down before God and say, there's some gaps in my schedule today that I need you to take care of. There's some issues I'm going to encounter that I need you to finish the job. And then lo and behold, God's mercies are new every single day. You will see God at work in your life like never before. Not because he's starting to work, but because you are starting to notice when he's working. Now our last set of verses. Flip back over to 1 Kings and let's look at chapter 18 and we'll look at verses 44 through 46. It says the seventh time The servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now stop right there for just a minute. Where are they when this conversation takes place? They are on top of a mountain. You ever been on top of a mountain before? You can see every cloud in every direction. And so the picture here is not, man, there's a big storm, a big squall off in the distance. When this servant says there's a cloud the size of a man's hand off in the distance the picture there is that God is crafting stirring and creating this storm the same way he's miraculously sent fire from heaven he's not just the God of fire he's also the God of water as well he's stirring this storm system he's building a water cell so that it's going to pour out his blessings upon the land there's a cloud as small as a man's hand and it's rising up from the sea look at the next verse so 
Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. I love that because at the size of a tiny little cloud in the distance, he says, man, let's get ready for the blessing that God's about to pour down upon us. And it says then Ahab did not prepare. Look at what happens next, verse 45. It says, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the winds rose, a heavy rain came down, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. I love verse 46. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Stop right there for just a minute. The picture here in this passage is Elijah says, go tell Ahab, get ready. There's a small blessing in the distance, but it's going to produce incredible prosperity for all of us. Go tell Ahab, hitch up that chariot. Man, get ahead of that storm because you're going to want to be ready to catch all the rain that comes down. Refill the storehouses with the water that's going to come down. But Ahab doesn't believe him. So Ahab, even though he has a chariot, the picture is he uses it like a stagecoach. Let's just get there when we get there. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. Why would we get ready now? Where is Elijah to prepare for God's great blessing? Takes off his jacket like Superman, tucks his cloak in his belt, and runs with a renewed vigor and energy. The power of God that comes upon him is like a holy second wind. He was exhausted. All that stuff, the nerve-wracking nature of coming in to meet with Ahab, the nerve-wracking nature of having to climb up to Mount Carmel, it was so nerve-wracking to have to watch those prophets of Baal all day. It was so nerve-wracking for him to call on Almighty God in front of the people, so nerve-wracking to climb down the hill, so nerve-wracking to go through the trial and the execution of those priests, and then nerve-wracking to climb back up to the top. But Elijah knew He knew that this was the moment. And filled with a second wind, he outruns the chariot. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? How do we go about pursuing a big blessing? Number one, go to great lengths to live with integrity. Number two, humbly ask for what's beyond your sight. And number three, expect the floodgates of heaven to open. Expect the floodgates of heaven to open. You see, to Elijah... He understood the precious nature of the water. Do you remember how Elijah was taken care of right after he prays for the famine? The ravens bring him the little beaks of meat and bread and a brook that should have run dry continues to provide him with fresh water. He knew the precious nature of water. Then he moves in with that widow in Jezebel's homeland who has enough food for years for one meal for her and for her son. And yet the Lord uses that to provide for Elijah a meal and water to drink for years. And then he watches them pour the precious water on top of the altar. Remember the 12 buckets we talked about last week? They pour the 12 buckets of water so that it can cover the blood over the stones so that the sacrifice can be for all the people of Israel. He knows the precious nature of water. And so he says, I'm going to run. I'm going to get ahead of the storm so that I am prepared to receive when the heavens open up. Baseball players understand this. And you play baseball or softball. It's a great sport. Great sports. 
when you play baseball, it's interesting. I was a pinch hitter my sophomore year in high school. I got to bat five times, and my on-base percentage was 800, all right, my sophomore year, because I got on base four of the five times. Um, one time was a walk, two were hits, and then one, I struck out, but the ball went past the catcher, and I ran to first base before they could throw me out, all right? Uh, and then I struck out once, all right? Four out of five times. One of those times was the game-winning hit against our arch rivals, Coronado High School, all right? Not only that, but it was against a guy that I had grown up with, and uh, he was the one pitching that day, which made it even sweeter, all right? He was a way better athlete than I was, but I got the best of him that one day. What does the athlete do that gets the game-winning hit? You prepare for every pitch, and you wait for the moment when you finally get a chance to swing. You go, and if the pinch hitter understands this, you warm up, you take your cuts, you take your swings, and on that day that I got the game-winning hit, it was an 0-2 count. That's one of the other reasons why it's so memorable for me. It was an 0-2 count. I got one more strike in me before I lose it, but when the ball came down, when the moment of blessing arrives, I took it and took the swing to the best of my abilities, and then the Lord did the rest. It went over the second baseman's head, and we ended up winning the game. Now listen. When it comes to Almighty God, don't be Ahab. Ahab just goes, eh, we'll get there when we get there. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. When you are asking God for great blessing, you prepare to receive it just like the athlete preparing to hit that, hit that fastball. With Peter, Jesus says to Peter, put your nets over the side and you will get a big catch of fish. Peter goes, Lord, we, were, we've, we fished all night. We caught nothing. But I guess because you say so, we'll throw them over the side. Do you remember what happens? They throw the nets over the side. The miracle comes. The big blessing comes. And it says they began to drag in the nets, but the nets began to tear because they weren't expecting such a great haul of fish. Peter has to signal for his partners to come in in a second boat so that they can draw in the blessing. The picture in this passage is don't be the one who gets caught with torn nets. When the Lord tells you he's going to do something, when you are crying out to him to finish that line for you, to, to go beyond you in faith, to do what you cannot see, expect the floodgates of heaven to open and be prepared to receive that blessing. Now, just for the record, there was a billion-dollar lottery draw that happened a couple weeks ago, $900 million in the lottery ticket. Faith it till you make it is not what I'm preaching here. Faith until you make it with the lottery is going, yep, Lord, I believe without seeing that you're going to give me that billion bucks, all right? And you know what? I'm going to, in faith, spend my first million before that, that drawing even happens because I know that you're going to do this for me. That's not the picture in the passage. You're not foolish, but you are prepared to receive it. All you can carry is what you can hold, right? When the Lord pulls out the blessing, you are ready to receive it. You're not caught in the storm without any way to collect the rain. Great little quote here for you. You ready for this? Great blessings often arise from small beginnings. Let me say that again. Great blessings often arise from small beginnings. That's Matthew Henry, one of my favorite commentators. I've got one last verse for you, and we'll call it a day today. Look with me at Psalm chapter 31, verse 19. 
It was very important to me this week for some reason that I give you way too many verses, okay? So look at this, Psalm 31, verse 19. I want you to see that this wasn't just health and wealth, that this is truly founded in Scripture, top to bottom. Here's what it says, Psalm 31, verse 19. David writes, How great is your goodness, O God, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Underline stored up for those who fear you which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. You see, the Lord has storehouses of blessing. It's not something he comes up with on the fly. He has it stored away in pockets. And when we are in need, when the time is right, he unlocks the storehouse for us and lavishes the blessing. Everything you can hold comes down upon us. The final question today is this. Have you, forget, have you forgotten about the storehouses? Have you forgotten that when you go to God, he is able to unlock more than what you need? In this city, keep working hard. It's one of our finest characteristics, isn't it? But temper that with great faith that God is the one that we go to to finish the job that God is the one we go to, to go that extra step. And when we do that, we will experience blessing unimaginable. I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time, but it's a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? There are parts of my character right now that distort the gospel. If I'm really being honest, there are some things in my life that cause God to be, even though he's seen, he's not seen clearly through my actions and I'm ready to walk alongside him. With nobody looking around but just me, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that my life would reflect the gospel and not distort it. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. That takes guts. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you for doing that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But remember, I'm a fellow traveler. I'm not your high priest. Jesus is our high priest. I want to encourage you just to cry out to him and just say, Lord, I want to be a clear reflection and not a distorted one. Lord, I want to be a clear reflection and not a distorted one. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? My prayers have been a bit more of a to-do list than they have been faith-filled. I've been there with nobody looking around but just me. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I want my prayers to be faith-filled. I want to be one who pleases God, like Hebrews 11 says. And it's time that I stop just praying for things I know are going to happen. I really start asking God to intervene in my life in ways that I can with nobody looking but just me, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. If 
you just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. It's tough in this city, isn't it? You guys are capable. You guys are strong. But prayer is about what God can do and not what we can do. Pray this simple prayer with me. Lord, let me look beyond my own hands to you and your will. Lord, let me look beyond my own hands to you and your will. Last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm the one who's forgotten about the storehouses. There's so many things I'm trying to achieve on my own. And today I need to be reminded all good things come from God and he is able to help me. With nobody looking around but just me, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would remember the storehouses and that God is able to help me. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are today. It's powerful. It's powerful. I'm actually going to lift my own hand on that one too. God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Pray with me. God, we remember the storehouses. God, we remember the extent of your power. I'm praying that alongside you today. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. And God, we thank you for this story of Elijah. I even thank you for the hard verses like verse 40. There's so much truth and wisdom even in the verses that are hard to understand. Thank you that we don't need to be afraid of tough verses. But Lord, there are answers that we can find your truth is always clear. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who are here today seeking to live with integrity. Give them a drive and a determination to do what is right, even when it's painful and difficult. And Lord, for those who are going to ask, head between their knees for things that they can't do on their own, I pray that you would hear their prayers today, that you would acknowledge their faith. And Lord, that you would truly give them testimonies of your greatness. God, for those of us here today that need to remember, you have access to every storehouse imaginable. You don't accumulate blessing on the, fr- on the fly. Lord, you open it, you unlock it, and you pour it out upon us. Help us to remember that. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ.